All right. How you doing? My name is Matt Barr and you're listening to episode 10 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. Yes, it's my podcast where I try and uncover the most interesting stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for listening. And if you're a new listener who's been brought here by the fact that I'm interviewing Peter Helicar, welcome. So, double figures. It happened. If you've been with me from the start, I just want to say I'm hugely grateful for the listens, the support, the feedback, hell, even the criticism. I mean, it all helps, I've got to say. When I had the idea to do the Looking Sideways podcast back in January 2017, I did really wonder how well it was going to go down. And I've really been blown away by the response to the podcast and the feedback. It really seems to have struck a chord with people. And I'm now genuinely hopeful that the thing can carry on until we hit triple figures, which seemed a little bit ridiculous when I started it on my own down here in Little Brighton, but there you go. And I'm happy to say that the reputation of the podcast also seems to be growing to the point that some of the big hitters on the wish list are now actually starting to return my emails and calls. But as ever, what would really help me out if we're going to truly take this thing international? And from what I've seen on the Facebook thread, a lot of people are requesting that I do start broadening the old looking sideways horizons is if you can help me spread the word. I know I harp on about it every single week, but those sweet iTunes reviews and social shares really are marketing crack for somebody like me who's doing this in his spare time and on his own dime. So please help me spread the word. So for episode 10, fittingly, it's a further expansion of the Looking Sideways universe as I welcome my first skateboarder to the show. It is, as I said at the top, the great Peter Helicar. And it's a cracker, this one. Quite possibly my favourite so far, I might say. Pete's a skateboarder, a company owner, a designer, an artist, a musician, a thinker and a general doer who first came to prominence in the late 1980s and early 1990s UK skateboarding scene. He was synonymous with the Nottingham scene and really, he was one of the first legit pro UK street skaters who basically wasn't from London. Doesn't sound like a big deal now, but it kind of was back then. Pete soon became one of the flag wavers for UK skate culture, as he entertainingly describes in our chat, and soon helped found Unabomber, perhaps the quintessential UK skate company of the late 90s and early 2000s. From there, as you'll hear, he went on to have an astonishingly varied career, both in and out of the skate industry, heading to the States to work as art director at Soltech before returning to the UK to work as an artist, which is what he does today. So I'm at Pete in Lewis, Sussex, down here in the south of England in June 2017. Pete's been living here for a year or so now with his partner and his young family, and we were lucky enough to be able to use his mate Rich's studio just off Lewis High Street. This was a proper little treasure trove of a music studio, tiny but full of musical toys, artwork and skate memorabilia. And it's we start the conversation by actually describing it because I was pretty enthralled by the place, to be honest. Because really it was the perfect setting for our conversation, which is ostensibly about art, life, skateboarding and music. But ultimately, as I think you'll hear, is about the tools and activity like skateboarding gives you if you're open to it. Throughout my chat with Pete, I was generally struck by his awe at what skating's given him. There are a lot of references to the openness and community of skateboarding, about the joy of sharing, about being part of something bigger than yourself, about opening yourself up to possibilities, and also, very importantly to Pete, putting back what you can to ensure the wider transaction keeps occurring. 
This is a theme that constantly recurs throughout Pete Halicar's life and work, whether it's through the iconic Unabomber logo, which he describes in detail in the chat, one for you skate geeks there, the ethos behind his interior design for House of Vans, the open source nature of his work with Halicar and Lewis, or the music he's made in various different guises over the years. Whether you're interested in early UK skate history or in hearing how somebody like Pete, who started skating in Nottingham in the 1980s, ultimately, has been able to carve out such an interesting career, or if you just fancy sharing an hour and also listening to a thoughtful, charismatic character all over his life so far, this is a brilliant listen. So thanks, Pete. I look forward to catching up again with you soon. Thanks for doing the podcast. I really appreciate it. So here it is, episode 10 of the Looking Sideways podcast with Pete Helicar on the generosity of skateboarding. Enjoy. So, Pete Halicar, thanks for uh, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you very much. Here we are in Lewis with you. What you've got there? Your cheesy puffs. I've got some uh, happy shopper cheese puffs and a pint of Heineken. Thank you very much, Matt. And describe this space that we're in because this so, is this is an amazing isn't space. Isn't it? It's like a, a musical grotto of if, if anyone that likes music wouldn't fail to come in here and be wowed by the assortment of modern and old keyboards guitars recording equipment ukuleles records amps i mean drum machines he's got a lot there's a lot of stuff here yeah um, and yeah. it's a tiny little room i mean it's it's literally i mean what do you reckon it is like i mean that's it's only it's a luxury shed yeah brilliant yeah. and you so you have a little stake in this if uh, you like well i, I say is a that, stake i've got a few instruments here and uh, Rich and I, Rich is the guy who owns the studio, he's a good friend of mine and we have uh, played music, lots of music together over the years but um, yeah I'm hoping to come down here, my ideal dream is to spend an evening just getting wonky in here and making loads of mad music with Rich. But, you could certainly do that in there. Oh man, when it's all going he's got this really good PA, it's this thing, this uh, Sims Watts thing and it's just a really good PA system. Yeah, and then he's got all yeah he's got the the space echo and yeah he's got the proper units yeah he? I mean he's got all sorts of re- and you know then he's got sort of you know the Bon Tempe bits yeah. and some beautiful looking some old good- skateboards I mean that's where I know Rich from is from skating from he's from the Corn he's from Cornwall okay yeah because I noticed um, the skateboards lying around so yeah. he's an old skate friend yeah so he's a skater from uh, I used to go to Penzance a lot and go down to Cornwall to skate right and massive you know it's, as you know sort of the whole that wider scene that you end up meeting in the uk originally and then worldwide but he's one of the long-term cornish crew so he was already so you're we're in lewis i should say and you've been living in lewis for a year now right yeah yeah yeah. so was he one of the guys that you sort of knew when you moved down there well when i was living in london i was living this uh this old sort of 20s block flat came up below me rich and his girlfriend lucy needed somewhere to live and um the flat downstairs came up, they turned up, they liked the flat, they moved in. So we ended up kind of having this connection in London. And then I think when they sort of were planning on having their family, they moved out to Glyne and sort of Lewis, put the put Lewis on the radar. Um, and then I sort of, we moved out here, you know, f- 
I don't know four or five years later. Right. So it's slowly kind of it's all the. It, I think it's interesting. This kind of the skate connection seems yeah. to always be there to some extent. Skate and music, perhaps. Yeah. Were well, you saying turn up at the skate park in a new place immediately? Get it's plugged amazing. into it's, to who's here and who you, yeah, who you yeah, might yeah, know yeah. already. You know. There's um, I don't know if you know that that, that um, wings logo, the the Unabomber wings logo. I don't know if you of remember course, yeah. with the shaking with the hands, hands and yeah. the wings. Yeah. That's what that logo was about, right? You know okay. that, that that was that idea of sort of it's you know it's a bit of a sort of slightly weird nod and a wink. You know if you're a, if you're a mason, but if you're a skater, that thing of turning up. You know I remember going to America for the first time, going to sitting in this bus stop. Uh, this bus station in Santa Cruz waiting for somebody to turn up to pick a load of us up this guy skated past he was like all right not all right four hours later he came back and we we're still sitting there he's like all right he's like what's going on just, you know the guy we're supposed to meet's not turned up he's like oh his name is Nemo it's like you can come stay at my house right so we went and stayed at his house you know it's that sort of relationship yeah. it's like if you've got that if you've got the glint in your eye and the and the and the wooden wheels then you're yeah then you're in sort of thing so when did you start skateboarding how old were you um well how old are you now actually i'm 46 and yeah, it's 26 it's june 27 june 2017 no it's may it's 31st of may 2017 okay so 46 46 i'm 47 in december okay so what nearly old? 50 yeah well I rang my dad up because I was like, I, I rang my dad up and was like, dwell on that. Well, no, I quite like it. I think it's quite nice. I quite, I quite, I quite enjoy it. I came to the conclusion that I'd spend a lot longer old than I ever would young. So just, yeah. you know, it's, it's worthwhile. Just Have relaxing. you seen that website? I'll, I'll, I'll send you a link and I'll put a link on the show notes, which is like basically how long of your life you've got left. Have you seen that? And it's like drilled down into like, how many times you're going to see your parents? How many times you're going to see your siblings? Like how many times you're going to see friends that live 500 miles away? That is depressing. Anyway, um, so you... Thanks, Matt. So, yeah, <laughs> I'll cheer you up. So yeah, so how old were you when you started? Well, I remember the first time I ever went skating, I must have been about six or seven. Um, and my mum's boyfriend at the time bought me a board. And the reason I remember it so vividly was um, it was at the same time that I got a bike, a push bike, and I got this little kind of almost like a I think it was called a rally chipper it was like a really little kind of orange like a chopper but a mini thing and I remember having getting bought a you know like a polyprop plastic board and the thing I remember is uh, using bungee cords to attach it to the top tube and then going to this place called I think it was called Dogtown something in Nottingham and it was in an old cinema um and I remember going in and walking up this wooden walkway and, and, and there being this booth that you could pay at. And then going in and it was, you know, because it was a cinema, obviously it was all, all raked and the skate park was set in the rake. So you'd right. sort of start at the top and there was this really big, you, you know, U-pipe kind of that. And I just remember sitting on my bum and just riding down this thing. Um, and I remember on the stage there was a, you know, probably a, a, a some kind of, transition ramp thing right um so that was my first ever experience of being in that but um i was always into wheels always into to sort of rolling and i remember you know an action man tank being a really good sunday you know yeah, yeah <laughs> bombing yeah. down the hill on yeah. an action man tank making my own go-karts doing all that sort of stuff um and then when i lived in i was what maybe what thir 12 13 guy down the road gave me a 
board that had I'm pretty certain it had Indies. It definitely had Kryptonics on it because I remember I was into Kryptonics because I knew about it from roller skating. Because um, into roller skating, and then um, and and a homemade board, but made out of oak. It was really nice. Wow. Um, swapped it for, for a um, this game called I think it was called Ricochet or something. You know, it was like you had this sort of gun and you'd fireball bearings at each other. It's like football, you know, yeah. so you'd have two sort of goals and you'd fireball bearings at each other. Swapped it for that. That was it. No more skateboarding. Right. Um, and then when my sister was, when I was about 12, 13, um, my sister was doing loads of, uh, was working uh, in, for Central Television, doing acting. And um, she had money. I didn't have any money. Uh, she fancied this guy who skated. So she wanted a board. She got this Joe Vision Joe Johnson and uh, all these bits. And I sort of showed interest. So at 13, 14, got this sort of skateboard and started learning. Went down to the Broadmarsh Banks. Yeah. Which I knew anyway from going down on BMXs. Yeah. You know, because it was that whole thing. It was like I went from the BMX into the skating. Um, so yeah, it was like third, it would be 83, 84 that I sort of started to get into it. I think I learned to Wally in, in 1984. And what was it you liked about it back then when you started? Do you remember? Uh, I think what I liked about it was that it was um, it wasn't a team sport, and you. I think it's. I, I mean, I, I probably didn't think this at the time, but um, I've always been attracted to things that you sort of have to teach yourself. So drawing, playing the guitar skating, BMX, um, you know, uh, they're all things that you you can watch other people do, but you can't really, you know, the only person who's going to make you jump off that thing or yeah. drop in is you. Have, you. you have to solve the problem. Yeah, whereas at school, it's very much about you've got to just learn this stuff and yeah. then just trot it out to order, okay. which I was never any good at. Well, I guess if you enjoy that, that's a pretty good start with skateboarding. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was the thing. I think as well, it was the first time I ever found a group of people that I was sort of, that, you know, the thing with skating being that you can be into it. You don't have to necessarily be any good at it, but if you're into it. People recognise that. They don't give a shit. You know, there's this guy, I don't know if you know, there's a guy, Graham, who's like, um, he's, um, I first met him in Nottingham, probably early 90s. And I think he's got autism or something like that, but he's always skated. He's always been a skater. You know, he'd always come and go, do you skate street or lamp? And then you never like, oh, you know, well, kind of into a bit of both, you know, and then he'd, and he'd show you his setup and he'd have this particular setup. And he, you know, I get a Christmas text from Graham every year. Right. Always have. And I always respond. Um, and he's just one of those people, you know, he's always around and he's more kind of hardcore. He's a skater. You yeah. Know? That's, I think that's the thing with skating, you know, with a lot of other things, it's really elitist. I mean, skating's still elitist, but um, at its core, the kind of, the, 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 the main body of what skateboarding is, is quite open and available. And all you've got to do is be there and be into it. So you, did you find that community quite early on then? When you, from the time you described it. Well, I think from you... the BMX, I think, you know, because I'd go to, you know, I'd ride down to go down to the Broadmarsh Banks, which were these amazing brick banks that were sort of, you know, quite almost sort of equivalent to, better than the Brooklyn Bank. I've skated the Brooklyn Banks. The Brooklyn Banks were all right. The Broadie Banks were way better. Um, 
just less hype. And it's probably, no, they smell, I think they both smell about the same of piss. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was that, you know, sort of going down there and then going on BMX, you know, sort of riding around on BMXs and then getting and then the skaters kind of coming in in that, you know, that sort of, I don't know, was it second, third wave in the 80s, early 80s. Um, and I, th- I just think that that was, I was attracted to that, you know, that sort of thing. I think it's just being out and adventuring around, you know, and, um, you know, it's like when you get a bike, you know, you're a kid, you learn to walk, your, 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 your kind of radius expands and then you go out with your mum and dad and then the radius expands a bit further and you get a bit more, they give you a bit more and then you get a bike and your radius expands a bit further and then, you know, and it's, and then when I sort of got to, that's what the bike did and then when the skateboarding came in and that's when it sort of expanded even further and I don't know, it was just sort of, I didn't really think about it. I'm obviously thinking about it now. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Um, but at the time, it was just the sort of, it's just the adventure, you know. If, and it's, you know, it's a way to sort of get into trouble without being in trouble. Yeah, that's a big part of the appeal, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of, you've got a reason to be out in the street, yeah. sort of playing with, you know, why are you, what are you doing? Oh, I'm skating that curve. Yeah. You know, and there's a reason to be there, you know, and that's why, that's what we were doing. We're going, finding car parks with board slides and bank to walls and things like that, so... So who are you? So this is Nottingham, kind of like I guess late eighties, early nineties. Is that about right? Um, well, initially in mid eighties, yeah, mid eighties. Well, it was it was um, Future Primitive and you know sort of Bones Brigade. The first, you know, they were the first videos I saw. Savannah really? Slammer and all of those. Yeah, I was hanging out with all these weird, this weird guy Tony, whose dad, who's uh, sorry, lived with his brother, and his brother had this, you know, it was a bit of a sort of eighties goth had a coffin in his front room. <laughs> And wow, loads that's, of snakes. That's pretty goth. It was super goth. <laughs> that's high goth points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, he had all these mad parties, and you know, just he was, he was, he's, he was a bit of sort of spiky. He was a bit spiky, you know, a bit of a not a bully, but you know, just a bit kind of didn't suffer fools, you know, or wouldn't suffer fools, whatever. And he, he would sort of, um, I remember just going, you know, we'd meet at his house. And then, it, you know, it was, it was, there was no drugs or anything involved. And it was just like basically drink a load of Coca-Cola, get on your skateboard, bomb down the hill as fast as you could in your fingerless gloves and whatever it was, you know, after watching a bit of it, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it was, it was sort of, it was just like that, that, that meeting those sorts of people at that time. I think it was just a perfect, you know, right. perfect, perfect moment. I mean, I was, you know, towards when I started to actually get into it, I was actually going through the school system and I'd got to the end of junior, uh, senior school, got to college and I was just like, oh man, it's just more of the same, you know. It's So I remember just saying to my mum and dad, just going, well, it's my mum and my stepdad, and just saying to them, actually sat them down and said, look, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to go to college anymore. I want to, um, I want to start, I want to start a t-shirt company and skate. Classic. And they said yes. <laughs> Did they? Yeah, they said yes. I mean, oh, bless them. With, with hindsight, they, they, you know, I spoke to my stepdad about it, Glenn, and he, and he said, you know, it was because you said I want to do something. You right. Didn't, you know, rather than saying, oh, I just want to, I can't be arsed, yeah, yeah. sit around and it's because I wanted to do something. So they could see you had a bit of direction. I was into it, yeah. yeah. I wanted to skate and I wanted to, you know, I wanted to... I mean, actually, that, that actually happened, you know, sort of later on, I'd say, what, 90s, probably 92, 91, 92. Okay. Um, I'd been up to York 
because they built Scott, this guy Scoff built this indoor skate park in York. I think he got some settlement or something. I think he got like something had happened to him. He's having a car crash or something weird happened, but he basically got a load of money. He, he pissed it all up the wall. I'm building a massive skate park in a warehouse. His girlfriend set up a hairdresser and he set up a skate shop. Living the this, dream up there. They had this massive skate space and there were all these BMXs and skaters up there. Right. So is this when you started to get into it? Get into like the dick. Because back then, I guess. UK skateboarding seemed to be a lot of little scenes, didn't it? You know, Liverpool, like Nottingham, which obviously you were kind of involved with, and there's Manchester, yeah. and then there's like there's yeah. these little pockets. There's like Southbank, yeah. Croydon. Well, I think yeah, I, I think what was interesting so was did you that, start to sort of link up with with yeah, these different well, um, communities. Yeah, start, yeah, exactly. Start traveling more. Start started traveling more. I think what was interesting was the sort of evolution of the UK scene was that, and and you know, sidewalk was you know and and, and um, well, there was there was skate action and skateboard initially. So Meany and um, that guy Sean, blah, 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 I can't remember his name now. The guy who whacked Gooey around the head with the with the skateboard. Do you, do you ever no, see that? No, I don't that? know that one. No. Oh man, this guy was an editor of Skate Action when we were in Barrow in Furness, and I don't know what the beef was between him and this guy Gooey. Gooey was a bit of a sort of Larry Northern bloke. Nice guy. He's a I, mank, wasn't he? In fact, Gooey. He what? He was a mank, wasn't he? Was he a mank? Yeah, he was, yeah. Okay. Right, okay. So, yeah. So mouthy. <laughs> One of them. <laughs> One yeah. of them mouthy ones. Yeah. But I don't know what happened, but Sean flipped out, clobbered him around the head with a truck, you know, on a... Like, wow. Like, properly whacked him. Punchy. Anyway, random, weird one. But yeah, so there was a skate action and then the skateboard magazine. And then when, obviously when... Uh, sidewalk started i think there started to be a bit more of a sort of cohesive right scene and people would start i think people started and more maybe more parks as well so there was more places to visit yeah it started to sort of build up a little bit more yeah your uh, more focal points basically yeah yeah and sort of there was and and then obviously when the magazine started to document certain places so like uh rick cooper and all those that crew in manchester and um the goshen center and Barry. You know, Barry, you know, yeah. and that sort of... And there was Andy Scott and Wingy and all of those yeah, guys. Yeah. I just think it's sort of... It was a, a, a sort of a travelling scene, wasn't it? Yeah. You know, there was a lot of it moving. So I think that was part of it as well, just sort of the adventure of going to new cities. And it was... Yeah, it was good. I mean, I don't really... I'm not really, I'm not really nostalgic for it at all, but I can see that it was a... You know, it's a nice... A good time. Yeah, it was fucking ace. Yeah. So you like kind of funny. sponsored at this point and yeah, yeah. I started to. Well, what interestingly, what happened was I got to. Um, I was in Nottingham. There was non-stop and roller snakes. Roller snakes started their thing. Um, they had the ramp in the shop. With a little mini, didn't they? Yeah, out the back. Uh, well, it was in the shop. It was actually in the shop. Yeah, so there was like one half of the shop right. was the was was you know where they'd sell stuff, and then there was basically a big net. And they'd taken up the other side of what would be a normal kind of dress. I think it was an old dress shop or something. And they just built this mental ramp. And it was high. I think it was probably, I'd say it's going to be at least six and a half foot high. Um, but really weird, like mellow, you know, I, I, I'm going to say big tranny, like a big tranny, not much flat, maybe two and a half, three foot flat. Um, and... They just built this. They just built this ramp. So of course you got all this this whole f sort of focus, and I was really really into the skating. Really, and and start, I'd started getting photographs because this guy Donovan Pennant, who was a 
uh, photography. He was a BMXer, but he started. He was really into taking pictures. He'd started taking pictures, sending them to Skate Action. Um, I started getting pictures in magazines, basically, and so they then gave me uh, started hooking up with shop shop sponsor. Um, and then, what year would this be then? I'd say, uh, I don't know. Let's have a think. Maybe eighty nine. Right. Okay. Ninety. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It can't be. It's gonna be. The, it's gonna be the night. Might be slightly earlier than that. I don't know. I, I should, it's all a bit of a. It's all a bit of a blur. But um, the uh, they start. Yeah, they started giving me boards, and then there was there were teams that came through, and I remember uh, the Life's a Beach team came through. Sort of Dan Forth and what was it? John Thomas. <laughs> um, and uh, who else was there? There was a whole crew of them came through. I think Dressen came through with them at some point as well. Maybe, it was, maybe I'm getting a few mixed up. Gons came through with uh, with Ron Chapman and Jason Lee once as well. And, um, but when Dan, Danforth came through, I skated the demo because I just was into it. I just wanted to skate with them. And afterwards, the distributor for Life's a Beach was there because he'd brought these Life's a Beach guys down and BBC. And they said, oh, do you want to... And Danforth was like, do you want to ride for... BBC and I was fucking yeah <laughs> so you know Danforth it was, it was I don't know if you remember there was a classic picture in the front side 50-50 in monkey boots you know with no top on and like you know and a, and a, and a pair of skin tight jeans and then I, so that's when I started getting introduced to sort of more you know distributors and getting hooked up with, with right. various bits but yeah my first sponsor like proper sponsor was, was BBC and Life's a Beach um but yeah, at that time, I mean, it was so kind of sporadic, you know. It was. Just, How do you mean? Well, just because you just, you just, you know, there was no real, you know, there was. The, the, I mean, I don't think it was any different in the states either. I just think there was no real kind of. There's not the backup you get now. Um, well, it seemed like it was almost like the next generation that came after you lot. Yeah. That did get that. Really. Got it a little more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That started, but I think that, that, that were almost able to you know I'm not going to say take it up a level but almost well I think it was because I mean I think it's a generational thing as well you know it's like my generation there were very few people before me who understood what skating was about no but then for the like you say the generation after us there was a probably two uh, generations or at least one that understood it enough to see the value in what they were doing so we're able to then provide them with this or to understand how to support them as and also it had grown to the point where that was also possible as well. Exactly. So yeah. So so financially, it was actually you were actually yeah. able to, to to support it. So I mean, I mean, you know, that's why now there's skate parks everywhere, and it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Because there are, you know, I can go down there as a you know fifty year old man and fly around a skate park and have fun with my four year old and everyone in between. Yeah. You know, in terms of ages, and it's not a big deal. Whereas when I was younger, it was like. What you skate? Well, you would have to travel, wouldn't you? Like you say, you know, you well, it's just to... like, it's just people's perception. It's like what you skate, you know. Now it's like what you don't skate. Yeah. You know? Every every you know, trendy and their mum's got a palace ch- a palace jumper, a palace ch- thing, and it's it's a thing, you know. It's part of the landscape, you know, and it's a different thing. Whereas, um, I think it's it just it just you know it's good. It's good. It's it's it, it it's changed a lot now. But I think back then, you know, it's it's like when I was doing the you know doing the skate company. It's that was a harsh barge, you know, trying to make a, trying to make a skateboard company. Well, yeah, and especially at the time, trying to make a UK skate company because it was 
what is that? That's that's like mid nineties, isn't it? Like ninety six, ninety seven. Ninety six, ninety seven. Well, it's not long after. When did Sidewalk start? Sidewalk, I think, was ninety four. Ninety four, yeah. Because yeah. so it was based on it was off the back of, you know, people like egged on by people like Ben Powell and yeah. Horsley and Harry and Johnny Robbins. Skateboarding Robert. was still very um, US focused, wasn't it? Really? Yeah, but I think what what was interesting was that. Uh, Oxford specifically, and obviously the Tom Penny phenomenon, yeah, that changed the landscape massively. Well, yeah, and also Rowley. I mean, he's Rowley, like coming yeah, up that of time, course, yeah. There's Rowley. There, I mean, there were loads of skateboarders that yeah. came through, but but well, that started to shift it, and the, and then those skateboarders were as legitimate as anyone in the states. But then clearly, I think, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was that was a new thing at that time, wasn't it? Well, that, that all, I feel like that all came off the back of things like Eastern exposure because it felt like the East Coast of America was fighting for its independence as a you know as a space from the West of, Coast. Uh, you know, as, as you know, to, its validity. You know, they wanted that kind of where. And then you know when Ricola came out with all of that East Coast, Eastern exposure stuff, Donny Barley, all of that, and you're just like, this is fucking sick. You know, it's gnarly music, it's shit spots. Everyone's like, kuh, 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 kuh. well, I guess I guess you're right, aren't you? I guess the point is it wasn't the US; it was the West Coast. That was the point. That yeah. was where it was all. Yeah, it was focused. Towards, it was all focused it? towards there, and, yeah. and 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 it would kind of you know in 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 the same way that you know the that they they built kind of you know uh, a reimagining of of uh, the 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 search for the Great West, the frontier. Yeah, you know that is kind of sort of um, idolized in all of these films. They've done the same with skateboarding. You know, it was only when I went to America I realized, ah, this is why all their videos look good. It's because it's fucking sunny all the time. <laughs> the light is perfect. You know, it's like, yeah. and then why does this video from from fucking Burry look a bit like rough? <laughs> yeah. It's because it's it's you know you've got a constant soft box of clouds. Really you know? small paving slabs. It's really and it's yeah. just yeah exactly. So it's but it's it's it was a really interesting time to. It felt like the nineties were that early nineties thing was when you know I remember the comps at Radlands and um, all of that crew is when like Vallely and all of those guys came Vallely fucking blew it so hard um, but all of these uh, you know specifically Tom and, and Jeff and various skaters kind of skated really really well and they skated actually quite differently I felt to in a new way like Tom specifically skated in a new way it was really sort of loose and I called it this idea of release. Like he just let things go and he just, and that is now the way that people skate. But at the time it was so revolutionary. But what was more revolutionary was having people like Dan Joyce running around wrapped in plastic bags, <laughs> being like, being, you know, really freaking people out, you know, really keeping it British, keeping it British and pervy and weird, you know, and just freaking everyone out. I just you remember could it being. Do that. No, but the thing was, is, you know, there's that going on. There's all that stuff. Then there's the sort of, you know, people like Ben, who's got a, you know, Ben Powell, who's got a really, really ben good. Ben Powell from Sidewalk. From obviously. Sidewalk Surfer, yeah. yeah, who's got a really good sort of perspective on the world. You know, Andy Horsley, who could, you know, just, well, they they were just brilliant. What's the word like? I'm not going to say gatekeepers because that's a shitty word. But they're like, filters. They exactly. Yeah. They were the they they had the overview, didn't they? Those boys. And 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 it was and it was and it was no bullshit. Yeah, so. they, and they did it right, and they and they had the right intentions, and they yeah. they had the bigger picture, didn't they? But it know? was really sort of. Um, I think it really put a fire under the arse of everything. Yeah. Um, so this is brings us probably quite nicely to Unabomber then. So. 96, 97. So what, I mean, yeah, punchy thing to do. 
decide to start a UK skate brand. So what was where did that come from? So it started from well, it was initiated by um, Johnny Robbo, Harry. I want to say uh, Frank Stevens. I think that uh, maybe Vaughan Baker. Um, and they were going to go into they were going to do something with roller snakes in Nottingham, because obviously they were from that part of the part of the world. Um, and I was in at that time living in London. And I'd been working with, I, I, I moved to London, I needed a job. And um, so I ended up working with this guy called Ben White, who runs a company called L'Esprit de Keep. They're yeah, distributing duffs and all yeah. that sort of stuff. Um, North Wave. North Wave. Well, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> the North Wave phenomenon. Yeah, the big Never sh- had a pair of North Waves. The big shoes, the, the big soles. Jesus Christ, what yeah. was that about? Um, that's like, a, they're like the sort of footwear equivalent of spinners, aren't they? Well, that was just one of those things, wasn't it, where it was just inexplicable. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's you like, know. what are you doing? Suddenly like, snowboard boots as shoes is trendy. Like, it's just Oh, that's bizarre. what it is. Yeah, I suppose it's the it's the proportions of snowboard boots. Isn't they it? were literally a copy of the snowboard boots. Yeah, but yeah, down. yeah, yeah. Right, okay. And they just, they must have made a fucking killing from that, those boys. So I ended up going there with Wig, Wig Wall, and because and, um, he said, oh, there's a, place with a ramp on the top floor so i just went there to skate it's now fabric isn't it yeah it's fabric yeah, yeah. so uh, the unabomber office is now fabrics uh, entrance right so i worked in i went to i went to skate that ramp i didn't have a job didn't have anything i just moved to london and i remember saying to ben oh, you know if you've got anything clean the floors clean the loos hoover the offices i don't care i just you know anything Two days later, he rings me up and he said, "Oh, I've got some, I've got some toilets to clean and some, <laughs> and some offices to Hoover." And so I said, "Yeah," and I just went and worked. You know, I went and I remember the lovely thing. I remember him working, uh, me going there, and him. The first thing he said to me was, um, "If you want anything, just ask for it, but don't ever fucking steal from me." And I just he, he knew his he knew his audience. <laughs> well, no, but I just like the fact that he was so straight up. He's, yeah, man. You know, he's given me two bits of advice. Like the, that, that that was the first bit of advice. Anyway, so I worked for him for I don't know a year, two years. When the whole Unabomber thing came up, I spoke to Alan and Harry, and all, I was like, "Hang on a minute." And they were like, "We're looking for finance to do this Unabomber project," and I thought, "Well, I'm going to ask Ben." So I asked Ben. I said, "Ben." You know, and he's like, well, get me a business plan. We worked it out. 13 grand. <laughs> you know, we can do this, you know, whatever. So ridiculous. Like, um, But he said yes. Right. He said yes. And he okay. gave us the money. I didn't know that. Right. So Ben, Ben White. Ben White. Ben White bankrolled it. Um, and we, and he set us up with an office next door to, to their space, which was on Char- uh, Charterhouse Street. So Smithfield's Market. Yeah, yeah. And there was a unit next door that was fucking gross. And then... Basically, in this sort of little, I think it was maybe an old meet, uh, uh, staff room or something. We had used that as the office. Um, and yeah, we just started the company from there. And it was, you know, it was really... So were you a collective, that group of people that you've... Yeah, just, so it was... It's, it's Harry, you, Harry, Frank, Harry, Franklin, Harry, Franklin Frank, Stevens, right? Yeah, Harry, Harry Bastard, Franklin Stevens, Vaughan Baker, Mark Channer, uh, Paul Sylvester, myself, Alan Rushbrook, um... Later on, we ended up, we, we started up with uh, Ali Cairns. It was a kind of second wave. Um, Lucian Clark, who's like pro for Palace now. Um, yeah, there's a whole crew of us. But yeah, it was a bit of a sort of, it was a wonky start. I mean, it's the thing is pre-internet. Yeah. 
You know, there's yeah, no there's no internet. You know, I had a fax machine. Yeah. You know, it was completely completely weird. I mean, I think about it now, and I just sort of the 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 amount of content I get to look at and see, and you know, the businesses that I get to watch grow, or brands I get to watch grow, or just ideas. There was, it was it's just a different deal, you know. But you had a really strong yeah. identity. Oh yeah, yeah, from totally. the beginning. So where you know you mentioned the logo earlier, which is yeah. still like a classic, isn't it? Yeah, you yeah. It's the fav- that's one of my favourite bits of design I've ever. So where did that come from? Uh, that was you. Yeah, that, 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 but that kind of came later. That came later on. Um, the I mean, it just seemed about Unibomber there was there was an ethos almost. Is yeah, that- yeah, totally. I mean, we had a manifesto. Yeah, right. You so, know, so, we had a manifesto, and the manifesto started. You know, it was called the it was called the Gospel According to Unabomber, and it was written by Johnny Robbo, and it was this weird um, kind of monologue about it was about what was it called? Um, so, oh man, I wish I'd got it because it's really really interesting. It's it's something like cutlasses and sabers at the ready to. It's basically just about you know wake up to the impossible dream. The idea of like it's all you know what you're getting fed is a load of bollocks. You know that's why it was called Unabomber. The reason it was the full name of the company was Virus Unabomber He She They. So, and the idea about that was that Ted Kaczynski, obviously, the Unabomber, the Unabomber. Yeah, he never called himself the Unabomber. That was a media. That was a name given to him by the media. So it was all this yeah. thing. It was. All, I mean, okay. you know, because he was a big letter writer, wasn't he? But okay, but he never actually said that in the letters. It was something that he was never called himself retrospectively. He, put yeah, on him. yeah, yeah. It's like right. Al Qaeda. You know, Al Qaeda was. Uh, yeah. Never called themselves Al Qaeda. They just that. That's the name that's been given to them. Well, same as ISIS, right? I guess. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a moniker that sticks. that yeah. Then can be used and repeated. You know, it's. I mean, it was all. Um, you know, th- this is later on, but you know, the earlier days when we were all in Nottingham, so that, you know, Johnny, Robbo, uh, Ben Powell, all those guys, we were all reading and listening and watching lots and lots of information videos. You know, some would some would coin them conspiracy videos, but actually there was a lot of really, really interesting, you know, things like Noam Chomsky talking about language, you know, manufacturing consent, which is about how uh, language can be formed and used to... Uh, guide and push people's opinions around and to move people around and you know you can't you can't un- unlearn that stuff so the uni- you know unibomb skateboards came off of the back of that you know but this is 96 97 um and we you know it's great it's great you know we're having a great time and a few sort of sketchy i remember we're going to some trade shows in america and going through texas and the guy's like hey <laughs> security's like what do you got in there what do you got in that bag now i was like i've got some skateboards <laughs> so what, what, what what's your skateboard company called uh Una? you know because you can't say these sorts of things and but then obviously when when um when the 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 they flew the planes into the buildings and it all kind of kicked off in september on september 11th 2001 it was just a it was just a sort of um Partly it was depressing because you're kind of watching it, watching what you'd already kind of read about in terms of a wider um, movement geopolitically from from certain perspectives happen. You're watching it happen. Um, but also you've got a skate company that's called Unibomber. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like having a skate... I was going to say it's like having a skate, skate company called Pedo, but that's not a, not, a, <laughs> not, a, not a good way to do it. You know what I mean, though? It's, I do. I do. Well, I mean, to, so were you trying to... Because it seemed like throughout your skateboarding life, you 
you've always stayed true to an idea about what skateboarding is about was that was that yeah like, but i don't think that's i don't necessarily think it's a pious you know it's not because i sort of feel no i think I'm not, it's perhaps perhaps more that I, what i like about skating is skating exactly and is that what you was that a part of yes the, that's of, what you unibomber was an ex, at, unibomber you know. was an expression of um and you know i was talking earlier on about the way that when the Americans came to the UK and they got to experience a really, really solid scene that wasn't just wacky, it was also really fucking good. Yeah, exactly. Solid. Like, so you, you were know, trying to represent that? I was trying to represent that because yeah. there wasn't anything that represented exactly. that. You know, Jeremy, had, Jeremy Fox had done Death Box. They disappeared. They'd gone off to do Flip. And um, there was there was uh, Blueprint and... Um, I can't even think who else there was. Maybe Death. I think Death started a, a little. No, I think Death started about '97 as well. Um, but it was it was a mix of sort of not wanting. I still, you know, we still like with 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 Blueprint. Still felt like it was aping a bit. It was kind of what it almost wanted to be girl or it wanted to be chocolate. You know, it's kind of whereas Unabomber was fucking Unabomber. You know, our first graphic was a kid was three was three graphics. One of them was the gimp, you know, which was this like kid with a gimp mask on holding a teddy bear. The other one was CCTV, which was a kid in a, um, you know, up against a wall dismantling a CCTV camera in a in a bomber jacket in a leather kind of cut off jacket. And the other one was called Bomb Maker, which was a little kind of with the mini, and it was a it was a kid making a a bomb out of a a little Nintendo. You know, so it was quite sort of rebellious and 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 anarchic and and um, but it was that sort of thing. It was a bit just like fuck off. You know, we can do our own thing. We've got our own thing. We can make good stuff. And yet it was really important that it was graphically solid, and it wasn't. You know, and it wasn't. It it could go over there. You know, you could have a. We could do a graphic with a badger on it. We did a set of graphics called. Um, Oh man, it was it was it was basically about uh, native British animals that are now extinct <laughs> because they'd been killed by the local population. So this guy Nick Taylor came up with the idea, and um, we ended up going to the British Museum to re- research things like dodos and koi pews, and um, we ended up using badgers and foxes, and I think we used some squirrels and stuff. But we went to the British Museum and went and l- we went and looked at all of these. You know the the sort of uh, illustrated manuscripts of of uh, you know they during the sort of eighteen um, hundreds they would draw and paint everything. yeah like the Linnaean sort of classification isn't it where yeah they would, that's it yeah, where yeah. they would draw it and so we went and looked at loads of those record it in that very very official way official way yeah, yeah yeah and um, so it was all things like that that were really kind of sort of I mean, English you don't get more British than that I mean that's brilliant you know. So when you look back on it, what what were the best t- times of those years? Um, well, I, I, um, I don't know really. I, I think it was the travelling. Right. Yeah, I think it was the travelling. I think I really used to enjoy going to, going and travelling around. You know, jumping in a van with loads of people and bombing off somewhere and turning up somewhere and just enjoying the, you know, sleeping on a platform in a sleeping bag and, you know, it was. Um, I feel like they were the the, the, the travelling was the was the stuff that I really enjoyed and just meeting all of those people and they're all the people that you know that's how you and I know each other to some extent is because you know there's the the wider crew that yeah the wider network the wider network which is what the wings which is it? what that wings thing is you know that 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 network is is global in how it's well the wings thing's brilliant because it it really 
perfectly sort of symbolizes that doesn't it well it's the elevation isn't it it's yeah. like friendship you know the, the 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 thing behind it was that it was it was elevation you know that the friendship elevates um so yeah i'd say of, of, the, of that time i'd say the but then yeah then at the same time it was also really nice to because i was getting older to uh start to understand getting better at something you know because when you're younger you're just doing something you're like oh i'm just doing this yeah 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 but then you actually start to understand it a little more and you start to go oh okay so if i because it was this really great time where in nottingham there was this one guy who, who was a uh, who taught wing chung lao gar and kickboxing and he was a, a seafood like tall and there was there was about two year and a half two years where all the he was a skater all the skaters went to this uh, gym and we would all learn all of these fucking martial arts <laughs> and we were doing all of these martial arts and we were doing all of this circuit training everyone was ripped and it was the best time ever because we all had really good stamina and obviously with really good stamina you've got good concentration and then you've also got good control and so there's all these little things that came along at that time that were really really fun because right. it's like you wouldn't start to un- uh, for the first time it was the first time I'd learned something um, and got been in it long enough. It's like the ten year thing, you know. Been in it long enough to understand it, right? And then to be able to understand it enough to then explore it. So I think that was also maybe one of the things that was 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 fun at that time was, you know, going to spots and going, oh, I can, I can do this. <laughs> just being this, in it. Just gonna open this beer. Um, what about skateboarding memories? from back then because obviously you had oh, I remember yes I remember the, that, the first thing that pops into mind is um, riding to Munster on a bike from so, from where? <laughs> uh, from well we were the ferry landed at the Hook of Holland and so we rode all the way down through the through Holland wow, okay. down to Munster so what had happened there was this guy called Snoz from Leeds uh, Mad Snoz um, he's sort of skateboard royalty he had a thing called the Snoz Rock that was in a, in a magazine. Years. Snoz is amazing. Mark Snowball, his name was. Uh, my name is. And um, we'd heard, uh, this was when I was li- I was in York. It was at the time when we were doing the, when Scoff had the ramp at York. And um, I remember hearing this story that Snoz had ridden to Munster on a fucking shopping, on his mum's shopping bike. <laughs> so... <laughs> So me and this guy, Marcus... Instantly like, legendary. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> so right, right. So the next year... We're we doing got, it. We're, we're doing fucking it. doing it. He's so got, got a shopper. These, we didn't get shoppers. I, had a, I think I'd, I can't remember. It's like some sort of some mountain bike or something. Um, but we got on our bikes and we got the ferry over and we got off at the Hooker Holland and we rode... I, I can't remember what the order is, but it was like Rotterdam, Utrecht. Maybe it was Utrecht, Rotterdam, Amsterdam. We didn't have a tent. We just had sleeping bags, and uh, we we just slept in fields and um, behind buildings, and we just skated as we got there. We, you know, went through Amsterdam. We got some, you know, got a bit of pot and stuffed it down the end of our handlebars, and just it was just really kind of you know free, just bombing around, and you know, oh no way, you're in the middle of nowhere. Look at that curbs. Got to skate these curbs. Um, so that was, and then yeah, then we got to. Um, got to Munster and it was you know we were sleeping on the fucking street under, I remember at one point there was me and Guy uh, Jagger uh, Dan Ball he runs he's the manager of Supreme now he runs right. Supreme in London but I remember there's like him and myself and I think 
uh, Richie, Benny, and like just a crew of people. I actually saw a photograph recently, and I don't remember half of the people that were in the picture. But you know, it's like sort of. I think I might have seen that, and it's sitting on Was the curb. That, that photographer from Liverpool who'd done that retrospective. That's thing. right. Yeah. What's his name? That guy. I know exactly. Is I mean, it Rick, put, Kev, Kevin? It's, he used to do all the shots in skateboard, didn't yes. he? Back in the day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll put a link to that because that article was brilliant. Because that that like is basically the area that we were talking about earlier, wasn't it? You yeah. Know? And yeah, there is that picture of you like months Yeah, yeah. No, it completely right. It came out of the blue you know, a few years ago. And, yeah. And that that's the time. We're just sitting in the street, you know, buying like... I remember, <laughs> I remember Snoz didn't have any... Snoz, Snoz turned up. He was the guy obviously in Skated Or. I remember him turning up. Um, I can't remember when he rode on a bike or whatever. I can, basically, he turned up, but he didn't have anything. <laughs> he just turned up in a pair of combats with a board. And... um he ran out of socks and I remember he went to this shop and he shoplifted a load of socks and Snoz is six, four, six, five, big, big fella. And he nicked all these socks. He's like, fucking yes, I've got some new socks. And he tried them on. He nicked like sort of six year old socks. <laughs> so they just covered the front of his foot. Brilliant. Um, but yeah, so, you know, those sorts of things that, that sort of get, I mean, yeah, this butt boarding, Going out, just being so into skating, going going buttboarding in the rain. I didn't give a shit, you know, yeah, I just, yeah. I was, and, and just doing skids. <laughs> I didn't care. Just didn't care. And what about the film? Because you obviously had Cleaner is like a yes, a Unabomber yeah, sort of classic. Yeah, yeah. yeah, which is probably a little bit later, like two thousand one. Yeah, it's sort of later on. I mean, I think that you know my favourite video has always been one of my favourite videos is you know the antihero fucktards uh, video. And I just think that thing of having a really raw, like that's what skating is, isn't it? Like, you know, it, it, you're, you're hanging out in some weird place that no one ever goes to because you want to skate that weird little architectural thing. Um, yeah, and it was just it was just a sort of, it was, it was a kind of amalgamation of, I mean, because Frank was really into the filming. Um, Channa was really into was really good at filmmaking. They were all really good filmmakers. And to some extent, I mean, you know, they're, they're, it's those guys that, that put that together. You know, they really led that that whole kind of the aesthetic and the film approach. But then, you know, it's VHS. I mean, lots of people now are trying to sort of ape the VHS, aren't they? Yeah, it's they like, are. It's yeah. the irony. <laughs> so how long did you, was your involvement in Unibomber then? I got in, I was, so 97, 96, 97, and then, I got the um, so what is it? And then I we got I got rid of it. Well, I say got rid of it. I sold it on to Roller Snakes in two thousand and I think two thousand and three, something like that. So Maybe by that point, nine, ten, eleven. There was only you left out of that original group, or was was everybody? No, no, no. There was there was there was a few people. It was just, it was it was Harry, and it all kind of fizzled out a little bit. To be honest, um, I I was. I'd always been interested in going to America, um, not necessarily to skate more just because I thought about, you know, I'm really interested in the art and design stuff. So I'd been always kind of working towards possibly making that happen. I'd been in the States for a bit and ended up going and hanging out at Soltec. Um, and there came a point where um, Mike Manzori came over and said, you know, do you want to be the art director of, of Etnies? Um, and of course I said, yes, I'm not going to say no. Um, but w along with that, 
you know, Unabomber had been a bit of a harsh barge from the outset. So it was all a bit, it was, it was all quite sort of dysfunctional. It was quite a dysfunctional crew. Um, I mean, it made some, we made some really, really good stuff and it, you know, it, it had a point to it and it, it was solid. But as, you know, the reality is, you know, you're not skaters, you know, anyone, you know, any, but any sort of random crew, it's like a band, you know, everyone's sort of got their own approach. Um, but by the time I'd sort of got to the point where I was going to go and work in America, I started working with Ideal Chris, a guy called Chris in in Birmingham, who runs Ideal in Birmingham, and they he was going to run that. So I'd earned a bit of money from Soltech. I put that money into Unabomber. We built a little a warehouse, rented a warehouse space, um, and Chris was going to run that and sort of ran that for the few years while I was in America. And I think it was just, I mean, th- the reality is with, again, because of the reading about the financial aspect of the world etc etc i knew what the boom and bust was because this is you know the 10-year cycle and so in about 2002 2003 things were getting a bit tough and i just said to chris we should just we should just sell it right because you know we owed we owed we owed some money on the boards we owed some money on the printing um if we sold it there's a chance that you know there's every chance that the team could continue but with a but with a different company behind it, and obviously with someone like Roller Snakes, who are a bigger distribution company, perhaps yeah, yeah. it would it would help it. Um, and more importantly, did not want to rip anyone off. Didn't want to, you know, Chapman who do uh, in New York who did Zoo York and all that sort of stuff. Um, they totally backed us, like laid us on for you know like thirty forty grand's worth of boards and stuff. And um, and the same with the t-shirt and clothing manufacturers thought you know if we sell it to snakes we can basically pay everyone off the company exists and carries on i can come away and do something else because i by that time i'd realized i wasn't into skateboard business i was just into skating um not rip anyone off and can come away with it with a sort of you know clear conscience you know because i don't want to rip anyone off you know because that's what we that's what we built it on in the first place was you know this idea of being true to to what it is, you know, and, and what, what you believe it to be. Um, so yeah, 2002 sold it to snakes. I think Harry ran it for a few years, but, um, and now it's, and now it's running, but it seems like it's not really got the same, you know, it doesn't have the same momentum behind it. It's got some fucking sick riders. There's this one, um, there's a guy, Will, who rides for them. There's a few riders, actually, a few Unibom riders who were really sick. But, so who are they then? Um, uh, there's Will and there's a, there's a guy who rides Vert who's super sick I can't remember their names but I do check in every now and then and have a look what they're doing and it's interesting because you still see echoes of the stuff that we did originally you know some of the some of the approaches um, but yeah it was you know it was, it was a good time it was a good time and it, it taught me a lot more than you know it taught me a shitload about I mean you know the Ben's. You know the Ben White who gave us the money in the first place. His his one of his opening comments was, um, "Turnover is vanity, profit is reality," and it's fucking pretty straight up. You know, it's, it, it's in the same way he said, "Don't you know if you want something, ask for it. Don't nick it." Yeah, yeah. It's pretty straight up. You yeah. know, you can't you can't fuck with that. It's, Punchy but true. It's true. It totally yeah. works. You know. So you done basically a lot of the well all of the design work and the identity of Unibomber is that right with along with Johnny Robbo and I mean it was it was a team thing like okay. so everyone everyone had their input but you'd gained a lot of experience from doing that but pretty much I was the one that you know either 
came up with the ideas or implemented other people's ideas or right. worked with, you know, so I worked with Pete Fowler, Will Sweeney, all of these kind of artists that, um, I mean, it's a load of Pete Fowler stuff in here, actually. Shitloads of it up there. And some Jethro there. There's a James Jarvis over there. So all of those, you know, that, that scene of illustrators and designers that all came up through skating, I was working with them as well. I mean, that was the thing, you know, um, at the point we did Bomber, everyone was doing generic Every board pretty much looked the same. It was that, you know, it's like sort of stack them high, sell them cheap time, you know. Whereas we do a set of these and then we do a set of those and then we do a set of the, and they, we wouldn't have a, you know, we'd have little kind of lock off bits that were consistent, but overall it was always, it was a, it was, it was more, more textured as a, as a, as a, as a company. So what was the Soltec experience like? So you're the art director for Etnies. So yeah, yeah. So I went over there big, to big move. Yeah, it was, and it was, and what was I think what was the biggest move was that I um, had been working towards it for a long time, and I mean, I'm going to say with hindsight, I was completely inexperienced. I had no fucking idea. Um, and how big was that job then? Like, was that... Because I, I don't really understand how big Etnies was at that time. I mean, I know they were well, big, I mean, but like... Well, I mean, Soltec were... I mean, they were... They were at that time, there was it was S, America, Etnies, I mean, I, knew, 32. I, I know they're massive, let's yeah. put it that way. But, you know, so, so you've, you're suddenly well, leaping Well, I, in... I think, interestingly, I think that I think to some extent, what was... what was, um, I think what, what, what... The reason I went there was because they liked what was going on with Unabomber and it had its, it was true, you know, it had a kind of skate feel to it. Um, and they were struggling because they'd gone down the sort of um, Paxson, Zoomies, Mall, Etnies thing. And it was, I think they were finding it detrimental. I mean, you know, they may, they may beg to differ, but that's just my, percep my perception of what they were, where they were. So I was, the idea was that I would take in what, what I was doing, which was a bit raw and a bit more kind of, uh, skate basically yeah. into what they were doing. <clears throat> but then when I got into it, um, actually the thing that I found hardest was the, uh, levels of, you know, it was, it's, it, it's, you know, design's not just about making a pretty picture. It's then you've got to sell that picture through. You've got to then get everybody into it. You've got to get everybody behind your idea. You've got to have a methodology and an approach that everyone can sort of believe in. Um, and at that point, I didn't know that. I just thought, you know, I just was like, I'm into this, I'm into this, right. you know. Whereas now I know that you need to build something that 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 people can sort of understand. And you know, there's a little pithy one liner that kind of gives people a route that there's then resonance. is, a, yeah, that, that then is a springboard for everyone to then kind of get behind. And you know, it's like touch points for a, for a, for a design methodology or an art methodology that you go, does it hit this, this, and this? And if you do that at the beginning and you set it, I and I did set it to some extent, but I don't think that it was probably instinctive. Because yeah, of what but you I didn't knew. quite understand it, and yeah. I didn't know how to. To use a to use sort of marketing leverage, marketing parlance, to how to leverage it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I wanted it raw, and I wanted it to be real, and I wanted hand drawn, and I wanted the the, the person to, you know, I wanted it to be human. But that's obviously what they wanted. That's what they wanted, but then it was, and and, and it was successful to some extent. But I just think that I was also inexperienced. That um, you know, I had to run a design team. Um, so how many people was uh, that? Uh, it was four, four, five people. Right. Um, 
How's really that? lovely, really, lo- you know, amazing people, really good people and really good, you know, really good crew. Um, very good at what they did. I mean, there was, I mean, the, the industry in the States at that time is, is obviously light years ahead of what's going on. You know, I've come from a little meeting room running Unabomber to... The toilet at Esprit. To, to, yeah, the toilet at Esprit <laughs> to running, you know, to sitting in a custom-built building in Lake Forest, you know, with, with Pierre-Andre and and um, Don Brown and all those guys who were all really supportive. They were all really, really supportive. Um, was that intimidating? Yes. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. And I, and, and I kind of I kind of got into it. I just, you know, it's like sometimes you sort of, um, instead of sort of sitting back and looking at the landscape and going, all right, okay, and making and making kind of uh, considered moves. I think I was a bit sort of rabbit in the headlights. Right. Um, I mean, I learned a shitload, yeah. of course. Well, I bet um, you did. And you I did just... loads of really, really interesting work. You know, there was loads and loads of really good work. But the most important thing, actually, that came out of that was um, I turned away from using computers because up to that point, I because I taught myself everything, I sort of bought a computer and I was like, I think computers, graphic design is sitting with... You know, with uh, at that time it's Quark or Illustrator, and, yeah, yeah. You know, moving things around in two dimensions. Quark, Jesus, I yeah, right. About they that. blew it, didn't they? They yeah, totally had that one. Thank Christ, I used to hate that program. Um, but I sort of um, got to a point where I was like, "Hang on a minute, I'm fucking over using computers." So I started using set-based things. So building, you had to do. I had to do these all these ads for all the fashion mags, right? Um, and what I'd do is I'd get a pair of, you know, some Etnies shoes. And then what I'd do is I'd look at the shoes and go, oh, okay, well, that looks like this. And I'd go and find a load of reference and I'd print all the reference up then build these like weird collages. And then I digital, <coughs> had a digital camera and then I'd shoot the, dig- shoot the image of the uh, piece. It would be badges and bits and, you know, I'd write on post-it notes and it's all quite sort of freestyle and, and just a little, more, a little bit more kind of um, organic. Um, and then I'd shoot those. And then send those off to the to the fashion mags. Um, they weren't that well received initially by Soltec, but then they got really good response from the from the magazines. And what I really liked about it was, you know, obviously when you're working in on computers, you've got kind of, you know, sort of you, you, X and Y. You know, you can. But then the nice thing, as soon as you start doing sets, you've got the Z, so you can start sort of moving around things. Um, and I found that was a really, that was a lib- really liberating. So that, that as a thing was really liberating because I'd start then going out and be going to thrift shops and go, oh, that'd be a sick thing to go in this. And, right. You know, so you started to sort of build. And uh, where, where'd that come from then? Was that just out of necessity or did you? Uh, I think it was, but yeah, maybe, maybe I think it was just because, um, I didn't really, um, I wasn't it- getting, I wasn't getting the depth and maybe, maybe it's. You know, it's, I'm not an. You know, I can illustrate, but I'm not an illustrator, and and I'm a graphic designer. But I, you know, I can kind of. It's like appropriate. I, I find that it's quite often I feel like when I'm doing design, I'm always feel like I'm sort of appropriating somebody else's. Quite magpie like. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Whereas when I make sets, or I make three D objects, I understand. I understand it more. Uh, so so it's like I can look at it, <clears throat> and if it doesn't look very, you know, it's like I, I'm looking at that scene there. And it's like, oh, it looks rubbish. But then, oh, there you go. And I found that by moving around it, and I think actually, well, with hindsight, again, it's sort of, I, I think it's to do with 
physical. I was about to say, spaces. it sounds like it's the physicality. It's of the it. physicality. It's yeah, objects that you, that you kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. respond to. Well, and so it was a really nice. It was a really nice kind of, sort of moment. I was like, oh, that, okay, that's the right. Thing. And that really changed my design from that, well, that, that point on. Yeah, because I was about to say, it brings us really nicely into the next phase of your career, right? Which is, so, how long were you at Soltec? I reckon I did like two and a half, three years there. Yeah, and then you came back to the UK. Came back to the UK, got rid of Bomber, and decided that I wasn't going to work in skateboarding. Not because I didn't like skateboarding, uh, but because I wasn't interested in skateboarding business. I didn't want to grow old and be some old dude who was like, I was ace for an hour again. Yeah, right. You know, none of that. I, th yeah. I thought the best thing to do was to go off and to uh, go and work with all these people that, you know, I worked with this really lovely lady, uh, Rachel Thomas, who's a fucking amazing sort of artist, creative director, art director, uh, just maker. And she, she made loads of sets and stuff like that. And I just really made a, a, a concerted effort not to work in skateboarding, uh, more so because it was, um, it felt like it would have been the easy option to have gone into skate to be the industry guy yeah yeah, yeah. And, and it's again it's not because i've got anything against that it's just that i realized that i didn't want to sort of sully skating for myself um because what i liked about skating was getting on a board and yeah you know feeling stuff out so yeah they that's when i that's when i got into the you know more kind of art direction creative direction set building photography filmmaking you know it's all of the things that come from skating anyway you know build making zines building videos you know making ramps you know just building things for yourself yeah but then all of, it's all of those elements but then applied with that approach with the skate approach but to a perhaps more kind of art and design yeah well commercial that's, that's why this is interesting because you can see the you know the progression really yeah. clearly through yeah. all the things that you've done to bring you to this point yeah, and obviously yeah, yeah. to what you're doing now. So is this when you um, started Helicar and Lewis, basically? Is this, is this around no, this no, time? Before, no, no, this is before. This is, uh, Helicar and Lewis started in sort of 2008, 2009. Before that, I just was doing lots of... Um, I was doing sort of working freelance for record labels and making videos. I made some sort of, you know, I did some animations. I worked for, I did this thing with my mate Julian called the great sperm race, uh, <laughs> which is this channel. For, it's really good. It's a really good, uh, he's, he's an amazing writer and doc, uh, sort of um, filmmaker. And uh, he asked me to help him to sort of, the idea was, it was, it was I put in the journey of, uh, of, of a man's sperm, but in, at a human scale so you've got like you know cgi of you know four four thousand blokes dressed in white running down a you know running down a valley getting attacked by the uh, by the leukocytes and the leukocytes are all dressed up like fucking extras from a slipknot video <laughs> so he's doing stuff like that you know so it's still the same stuff you know yeah yeah is there's the humor and there's he's a skater as well you know right. and, and and there's sort of that whole um I got really into that, you know, I think if I hadn't have gone into where I am now, which is more sort of technology and, and experiential and experience and, uh, you know, that, that mix, I think I would have gone into film. Right. Um, because I, I, I really love the mix, you know, film almost has that mix, you know, it has the visuals, it has the sound, it has the, the sets, it has the kind of story and the narrative and those, those, that, that sort of mixed thing. I just do that, but in a slightly different 
space. Um, so yeah, it was it was it was you know the lead up to Helicar and Lewis was really um, me applying that newfound love of set building and 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 physical the physical um, uh, aspect of you know shining a projector through a crystal or you know playing with light or you know, all these sorts of you know light painting you know yeah. using photography and just playing with techniques um and then yeah when when the sort of the helicar and lewis thing started quite a sort of organically uh, got offered a few projects sort of fashion projects that came off the back of some of the things i was talking about before you know so lewis is joel joel, joel lewis? lewis yeah, yeah. joel lewis um, how did you meet him uh, well, interestingly, I met him at, when I was living in um, Whitechapel. There was this place called the Ice Palace, um, the first palace. And um, it was um, it was a party spot. And that's where we used to rehearse. So I used to play, I've always played music. So I used to rehearse in that in that spot with Richie, actually. Richie, was, Richie lived downstairs, the guy who owns his studio. And then the palace over the road was where we used to all rehearse and have parties and that was when uh, mushrooms were legal so it was all really wonky it was all super wonky um so i met joel sort of there and then he was working at dazed and confused as a i think he was doing some editorial work there just to sort of you know it's that you sort of bump into people and then slowly but surely we started to realize that we were interested in the similar sorts of things he was very technology focused. I was very sort of art and design focused. Um, and then we started working on projects. You know, just, I remember just sort of getting little bits in. We'd obviously go off and work free, freelance here and freelance there. And then when we got the opportunity to do a project together, you know, I always had a studio. So we'd always kind of right. gather there and, and then start building things. Um, and it was quite an organic, yeah, quite an organic process. But I mean... Much like the Soltec experience, I spent the, probably the first four years on the back foot. I had no idea of about uh, technology in terms of you know things like computers, computer vision, or you know working with code, you know generative identities, you know how to sort of create and use code as a tool. So explain some of the projects that you that you worked on because that might help to contextualize uh, that a little so, bit. So so uh, some good projects that Joel and I did. We did um, the first baptism of fire we did was called Nightlights. It was a project in um, uh, New Zealand and it was a massive, massive building on the main street in, in Auckland. And it was for New Zealand Telecom. And we proposed a um, an interaction where people could dance around in front of these screens at ground level and these projections that were four or five stories high. So you're talking, I don't know, 100, maybe 200 feet wide by 80 feet high, fucking enormous. <laughs> um, you could then see yourself as a, you know, you were monsters or you'd see your silhouette and butterflies would fly off you and you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, so it was that kind of thing, projection mapping, but real time, you know. So I did something, I would see, directly see what was going on on the building you know it wasn't like playback it wasn't like a oh the building's falling apart yeah you know it was it was quite it was all about real time it was all about things you know it's like an actual a tool that you know much like a guitar you strum a guitar you hear a sound it's not like a a pre-record you know it's um 
So there was that sort of stuff. Then we did stuff with, I did a project with uh, Maroon 5. We did a 24-hour broadcast with Maroon 5, um, which was really interesting. 24-hour broadcast? 24-hour broadcast. Wow. So we, we always always kind of, you know, broadcast. It's, it's you know, it's a kind of, it's, it's a bit of a no-brainer, really, in the in the current age. You know? and, and now everyone's on broadcast, of course. Um, but we did this thing where we proposed that... Um, Maroon 5 would make a tune in 24 hours. And we went into this big studio in Richmond. Um, they all turned up. We built a uh, an interactive system that was like a gestural, like minority report, but a huge, like, almost like an ice. It was, you know, based Coca-Cola, so it was like an ice sort of... That's you paid for it? Yeah, Coca-Cola right. paid for it, yeah. Um, and then we had a thing where you could, you know, people could send in questions via Twitter, and then the band via their broadcast system could send out questions or, or requests to their fans. And it was 24 hours, so it basically went around the world. And so we had this huge team in the background who were doing, you know, there's this, uh, um, I can't remember his name now. There's one guy who did all the web work. It was just absolute fucking Don. Um, but we just, yeah, so we basically in this studio with the Maroon 5 and they just wrote this tune over the course of 24 hours. We we got a presenter in. We had this kind of, you know, it's, it's it, interestingly, it's this skate sort of CCTV uh, voyeuristic thing. You know, the point of the point is, is that the reason why people like lots of these sort of bits with, um, you know, YouTube clips and, you know, Kanye losing it on fucking some radio is it's that voyeuristic element. And so we were sort of tapping into that. Um, but then we were bringing tech into it by allowing them to have an interface that they could then interact with. Well, I was going to say, because one of the things that seems to be a common theme through the stuff you did with, with Joel Lewis is the involvement that it gave other people. Like, there's the, you know, the thing you describe in New Zealand where it's people can dance and they oh, can yeah, see yeah, the yeah, reaction. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's there's this, this, this kind of, you know, the, the, I think that it's slightly outmoded uh this idea of interaction design, I've, I've sort of rethought it since since the since initially hearing it. But giving people agency, it's 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 sort of seeing something and having a technology can be so sort of um, isolating. Um, and it, it's, I mean, cynically, if you get someone in a point in in a in a, in a space where they sort of forget themselves, they're far more susceptible to the message that you want to give them <laughs> by this brown sticky water. Um, <laughs> but on the, on the flip side of that, if you can do it and you can do it in a way that brings joy um, and that, you know, there's an immediate action reaction, you get this kind of feeling of agency and, and you, like you're part of something bigger than yourself. I mean, cause that's the thing with, you know, like that, with that projection on that building, you know, for me to wave my arms in the air and then to see myself 50 foot high as this big googly monster is quite, a, you know, it's quite a powerful thing. And it's quite a nice, you know, you get this quite, quite a nice connection. Um, and so I think that that's, that's something that, that can be, can be used uh, really interestingly. I mean, it, it's changed a lot now. Uh, and by that, I mean, with experience and with doing more and more projects, the way you approach it is perhaps slightly more subtle. Um, and a lot of the work you did was uh, open source as well, right? All open source, yeah. All of that stuff Why was open source. Why is that important? Um, 
I think, I mean, that was something that Joel brought into the mix. I mean, we were working a lot with um, a, 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 a coding sort of uh, platform called Open Frameworks that was all, I mean, they were sort of like a, they were kind of like a punk rock, they're like the punk rock crew of of coding, completely DIY, all underground. Um, and... Well, I mean, I don't know. At the time, they were quite sort of forward. I find a bit of the, I find the stuff that aesthetically it doesn't it doesn't hit the marks I want now. Um, but at that time, you know, what's good about their stuff is that everything's open source. They post everything that they do, and this is it's this idea of sort of standing on each other's shoulders rather than on each other's toes. You know, everything everything else, everyone's kind of like grab it, it's fucking mine, get off. You know, it's, it's my API, get off it. Whereas they're just like, nope, I made it. There it is. And it's that thing of sort of like handing it out, um, which is really like skating. You know, it's that thing of making, um, you know, when someone taught me to do an ollie and they said, go on, off your pop. And then I've got the ollie and I can do it for the rest of, you know, and I do ollies every week, you know. And, um, and it's the same with the way that they approach, um, the way that they build code and stuff. But it's 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 now, uh, now I've sort of, because that was such a focus, there were times where I became frustrated. It's like when I was talking about going from working on a flat screen to working with sets. You know, there are certain types of approaches that are better for certain types of things. So now I... Open frameworks is a percentage of what we use as 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 kind of uh, as as a tool, and then there are other things that are maybe better at graphics or better at using three D objects, etc. Um, Such so an experience, really. But in that first, you know, those first few years, I really was listening, lots and lots of listening, um, and lots of working out what tech was. And the, the, my conclusion, what I came to as a conclusion, was that technology is not an idea. It's just a tool, um, which was probably the best thing I could have ever realised. Um, so what are you, um, you, you've got a new studio. Yeah. So you're not working with Joel anymore. No, musical differences. That happens. Yeah. Um, so what's the, what, what are you working on right now? What are you interested in at the minute? Um, at the moment, I'm trying to sort of, as 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 is the case when you sort of work with somebody for a long time and then you sort of pull away from that and you start working on your own stuff. Um, I'm sort of reassessing what it is and how I want to approach it. I definitely know I want to keep using the tech and I am using the tech. I'm working with, I've got a team of four, I work with a coder, a really good art director and a producer. Um, but it's, 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 um, it seems to be going towards more towards uh, sort of art than commercial. Um, saying that, well, you know, six months from from here, I might say, yeah, yeah, art, yeah, yeah, totally starving. <laughs> yeah, need to go and work for a Coca Cola. Yeah. Well, there's a balance, <laughs> isn't there? I'm sure there'll be some commercial along yeah. the way. I mean, art is ultimately commercial anyway, yeah. isn't it? Fuck's sake, you know, it's just, it's it kind of it, it, it's Le art and money. Leonardo you know? had a patron, didn't he? So. They all do, yeah. I mean, yeah. It's, you know, the, it's, the art has no intrinsic value, neither does money. It's just what you believe it's worth. Um, it's just that, yeah. We'll see. I mean, it's it's quite a, it's quite a nice and but to sort of have the freedom to be able to explore stuff on you, you know, without having to compromise. Um, but it's a harsh barge. I mean, Christ in a bike, you know. The UK, we just two thousand and eight. We all got fucked over by the banks. <laughs> 
everyone's on the back foot. No one's got any money apart from those very few. I mean, it's been it's been pretty full on. It's been pretty full on. I mean, you know, fortunately, I'm in a game that I think to some extent may be ahead of the curve because I sort of got into it um, and understood it quite quickly. I really like architecture, actually. I really like, I'm really into architecture. I like working. I did the, worked on the House of Anne stuff. I was about to ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was a real, that was a really nice. So you worked with Kat McKenzie on that, right? I worked with Kat and Henry and then um, uh, Tim Greatrex is a friend of mine, architect friend. Yeah. So what was the work you did on that? Of everything. Right. So yeah. you designed the interior basically. Yeah, did did all the flooring and Brilliant. Uh, worked on that. I mean, obviously with a really good team at Vans and stuff. But, yeah, yeah. And then worked with an architect friend of mine, Tim. <coughs> but and it was that was, was that a bit of a blank canvas that you were able yeah, to yeah, go in yeah. there and like basically yeah completely I mean it was it was a um, wow another dream gig for a skateboarder then yeah I mean that was actually the first that's the first bit of skate work I'd done yeah so that was the first thing I, and you know to come back and, and to uh, to sort of go right okay because you know there it was interesting was that they wanted to create a space that wasn't that was a marketing space but they didn't want to sell anything other than the guy that was the guy that was kind of leading the project, he'd said, if at the end of this there's five thousand people that, you know, it was the first place I ever went to see an art show, it was the first place I ever learned how to cut my record to vinyl. It's the first place I did a frontside grind. Wow. It's where I learned to Ollie. Yeah, yeah. You know, those sorts of things that really matter. Yeah. So those were the ideals, which is They were the ideals, which yeah. Which is great, isn't it? And so that so in terms of like the ultimate kind of the the, the perfect brief. Yeah. To be working with someone like that, who's the who's one of these, you know, the VPs or whatever he is, yeah, you yeah. know, he was up there, but was really, really believed in it, right? And so we came up with this whole idea of shrines, you know, this and and uh, and uh, architecture, you know, um, what was it, tension? So the architectural tension that a skater feels when they walk through a town and they see a little curved wall, yeah, or they yeah. see a granite thing. Or they see that, or they see that, and the their mind, minds are racing. The mind's yeah. reeling. And it's this material, this sort of a surface memory that you've got of all of these things that you know how to ride over. And you know, it's like when you talk about when uh, snowboarders talk about different types of snow. Yeah. And you know, they've got they they can intrins- they can look at a piece of snow and they know how that's going to ride. And it's the same thing with 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 sort of stuff you skate. Or so, surfers as well, basically. Yeah, yeah, totally. So what was lovely was that that to be able to go into Basically, almost that it was it was it was a complete dream brief because you know from the you know when you walk into the house of Anne's on the right hand side if you go in and you look on the right hand side there is a little bank that begins that's about two inches high and the idea being that from the moment you walk in there's like, oh there's a fucking bank there <laughs> and then on the left hand side there's the transition and you know there's all the materials that you're going to experience throughout the space in that first entrance space. Um, and it was just really, really nice to sort of build this quite weird environment. You know, the floor, you know, the floor was, you know, I came to the conclusion that, you know, bottom of the shoes, that's, you know, where do you meet vans? You meet vans through your feet because that's when you walk in here. Um, so we made that floor, it's that really graphic sort of, it's almost like a, um, what's his, uh, who did uh, who did Mulholland Drive? and well, David Lynch. David Lynch, like that red and black floor. Yeah. It's got that David Lynch thing to it. So I don't know why. It's just you know quite sort of graphic. Yeah. Um, that was a bit. It was a, yeah, again. That was a real sort of. It's a very visually arresting space. That. Well, it, yeah. When you go in there, it's yeah. like 
you know, everywhere you look, it's like it's just, things that draw your eye. And, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. And it was just really nice to make, you know. It was, and then, you know, uh, Mark Churchill did the, 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 the skate park. Yeah. Um, and we built that cafe with the sort of weird trannies in it yeah, and yeah. stuff. And it was all about sort of trying to trigger stuff that skaters might get into, you know, or, or at least they maybe don't realise it, but you're, but you're aware of and hyper aware of. Um, and then there was the methodology underneath it, which is that, you know, it's one of, you know, it's like the idea, it, it almost based on someone gave me the ollie and said, there you go, off you pop. Yeah. And it's the same thing. Passing for, it on. Yeah. Yeah. Whether that's, learn, like I say, you know, learning to cut your record to vinyl, learning about silk screen printing, building a zine, learning a front side grind, maybe just going down with your mum and being excited. Yeah. You know, and or watching a film or going to a gig. Oh, you know, I went to see a Metallica there. Yeah, well, they've had some amazing stood events Stood in there, there, yeah, stood in there listening to Metallica going, yes. You know, it's, I mean, it's brilliant. Really, really good. Um, so, yeah, that's a, that was a really good, that was a really good experience. And that's led on to other sort of architectural bits. Um, but, yeah, it's all a mix of the same stuff, really. You know, just getting involved in spatial, the spatial aspects of design rather than sort of flat sort of 2d stuff so what are you working on at the minute doing um doing a thing called sunrise kingdom uh which is a an art piece that's going to go into a house in or on long island sounds it's this really beautiful house that sits on the co- on the edge of long island sound and they've got this really lovely sunset that comes up every morning um and what they wanted was they wanted some way to record that so what we did was we found this amazing screen that's like seven foot long by a foot high so you can imagine if you, it, what we've got is we've got a camera pointed out to the sunset on the top of their house every morning from half an hour before sunset to half an hour after, uh, sorry, sunrise, half an hour before sunrise to half an hour after sunrise, it records the sunrise. So it's basically the sun coming up over the horizon. And then over the 23 hours, the rest, so it records it for an hour. Right. And then over the rest of the day, it repeats that sunrise for the hour. But what we've also done is we've also built in um, a bit of generative, uh, a bit of code that samples that sunrise, uses the time of day, the amount, the length of day to then create a piece of artwork. So imagine on day one, really red sun, uh, a long day, you get a single blob that appears because it's a long day and it's a red sun. That blob is red because it's a long day it's a big blob and that will grow over an hour so you've got the 23 hours because what we decided was that for the hour that the sun's been recorded the last thing you want to do is be inside looking at this screen watching a live recording of the sun coming up <laughs> get outside fucking watch the sun yeah, yeah. so what we did is we built this just kind of we've called it sort of i i, I called it slow art and i've since realized that there is actually a slow art movement jackson pollock was part of the that whole crew um And the idea being that on day one, you'd have a single blob and then on day two and then slowly the so the sun, the time of day and this kind of this, these, these bits of data would then be able to create over 365 days. No way. This piece of generative art. Right. So you've got the sun, obviously you've got the, you're kind of, you know, you're building this really beautiful sunrise. We call it a sunrise kingdom. Um, You've built, you've got this kingdom that you're sort of venerating with this piece of work, but also over time, you've got this slowly building piece that is to do with sampling the video that you're taking. So do um, they come to you with that 
They uh, had the idea of they wanted to record their sunshine. They wanted right. to record their sunrise. That was the brief, and then yeah. you've come back with that. Yeah, basically. yeah, yeah. Because I, but, but, and, and then what we've also done is we've we've then built a web platform. Right. So that because the thing what was beautiful was and what was lovely about meeting was that. that they were really, really passionate about this sunrise. You know, they said they'd be stood in the kitchen and they'd be like, look, there it is. Look, this, it. look at yeah. the sun, it looks amazing. Look at this. And, and, and they would do it daily, even though it was the same thing every day, but it's not right. the same thing. And there's this constant sort of excitement. And so what I thought was nice, and that's why um, James, who I worked with, came up with the idea of Sunrise Kingdom. And I thought it was such a lovely idea because, you, you, you know, that is their kingdom. And, and they want to sort of, they want to kind of uh, be, build this shrine to that as a space and as, and as, as a view. Um, but then I went to see Google with, with Sunrise Kingdom and I said, well, look, you know, you could do this in, you could do this in Nepal, you could do this in Pembrokeshire, you could do this in, and the idea being that in the long run, what would be nice would be to have all of these people that commission these, because ultimately these people are commissioning a piece of art that they'll have in their homes. But what I like is that they're then opening what they see as a beautiful thing out to the world. Um, and I'd like to have a set of kingdoms where all these different people have these pieces of work that they are, you know, they get the joy of every day. But they because they, but then they can share it out, and not only do they, share, but then also imagine the difference between the the way that the place in West Connecticut might look as a place to the, you know, the place in um, Darjeeling might look, or place in Pembrokeshire might look. You know, the landscapes are different, the colours are different, the sampling would be different, the time of day are different. You know, there's, and so you'd end up with all of these different visualisations as well and all these different bits of art. Of the same made, thing. Of ultimately the same system. So, yeah. yeah, so the input would be different. Yeah. Um, but the way that the... Uh, but the, the, the input would be the same. The system's the same, the input is different. Yeah. You know, and that's another thing that came from, you know, from, that I've learned with all this tech stuff is that if you can build systems that aren't you know it's like a guitar you know a guitar is a system that you know you can learn how to do eg but you do learn all your chords but it's completely nuanced open to endless interpretation yeah and that's if you can do that with if we can do that with and that's why we sort of try to incorporate things like this you know these sort of generative ideas into um into the work because it it's the bits where you don't know what's going to happen you know you if you know what's going to happen then why bother you know what I mean? It's like, it's just, there is no, there's no real kind of thrill in it. You want to build something and then make it with a, you know, I really like the sort of uh, Gonzi's 60-40 thing. It's either 60% your knowledge, 40% your chance in it. If you've really got a good client, then it's the other way around. You know, 60%, you know, not necessarily chance in it, but there's a little bit more risk involved, 40% is your knowledge. Um, so yeah, that, 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 that seems to play into the work quite a lot. So we've mentioned music quite a few times over the course of this one. Obviously, you've said you've been in bands and, you know, you've been you've been playing. You've mentioned playing with Rich. So let's talk a little bit about that. So are you playing at the minute? I, yeah, I play every day. Well, apart from tonight, I play to, to the kids. Still time. Yeah, play to the kids. I play the yeah, I play the guitar pretty much every day. and um, But mostly... I quite like sort of just playing. I've got sort of, you know, I don't know, a, a repertoire of five or ten songs, a mix of other people's and my own, that I just, I'll say to the kid, you know, Lola's two, and I'll say, do you want music? And she'll be like, yeah. They're a, they're a good audience. <laughs> what do you play to Lola then? 
I play. I mean, so, sometimes it's just instrumentals. I'll just, you know, just noodle around on the guitar and just play around. I t- I've worked out a sort of almost classical guitar version of um, Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. Nice. That she can sort of, she started singing along to. Um, but yeah, just I just really like music. I always find it sort of a real... I remember, I remember the, I remember the moment when I decided I was going to learn. My dad's always played guitar and the, and the piano and bits, and I'd always had guitars around, but I never actually really sort of said I'm going to do this and get into it. Um, and I remember just doing it because I realised that skating was finite, and I wanted something that I could do when I was old. You know, when I was something I could do when I was sitting down and. You know, you can, there's almost something you can lose yourself in that isn't so treacherous. Isn't not as so tre- bad for you. Isn't as treacherous as skating. Or, yeah. Um, so, you've yeah. Always, you've always played in bands though, right? Yeah, always. Yeah, yeah. I, I started playing in bands in probably 96, 90. It's probably around the same time as, yeah, like it's, it's, the skating stuff. So they've sort of run parallel. Um, I played in a band called Headshop for ages. Um which was a really fucking sick band. And I, you know, I think one of the, you know, I, 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 when I went to go and work in the States, one of the things I had to leave behind was head shop. Right. And, um, I think that's one of the, that's one of those ones where I was like, oh man, I wish I'd, I wish I'd, you know, I kind of, I don't regret, it's not a regret. It's, it's, it's just a sort of, I could see the, the potential in the approach because everyone that was in that, group it was you know it was around the time that sort of the beat band and all of those kinds of those guys were coming through and it was that mix where they sort of electronica was starting to mix with with kind of guitar bands and you know it was all a bit bit, it was a kind of an area that was unexplored that we were starting to explore right um but you know it's what it is it's what it is and then yeah and then you played in what, what was it Helicar, Craigo, Lewis and Lloyd. Yeah, the, the the band with the best name in the world, Helicar, Craigo, Lewis, <laughs> Lloyd and Friends. And the reason we got that name was that guy, there's a drawing up there by a guy called Jethro Haynes, who's a, a, another skater. Um, he was doing a poster for um, for a gig at this place called the Ice Palace. And um, we, were just, we were just playing music at that time. We didn't have a name. And he just said, what's your name? We said, Oh, hey. and he, was like, so he just wrote Helicar, Crago, Lewis Lloyd and friends. And he was just, you know, everyone else's names were really big, but our names were really long, were really small because obviously if you've got loads of letters in a line <laughs> with a really little name. Uh, but yeah, it was, I mean, it was a fucking brilliant band. Yeah, it was really, it was big. There was like, for bands, there was like seven people. Right. Um, cellist, two guitarists, clarinet, drums, percussion, bass. You know, it was it was a you know three singers. It was a powerful, powerful. Yeah, band, there's yeah. stuff online, isn't there? Yeah, it was a good band. I mean, put, it's you I'll know, put, I'll put some links up. Yeah, it never really. I mean, it didn't really, <clears throat> didn't really, uh, didn't really go very far. But it was fun. You know, we had a good time. Yeah, we had yeah, a good time. Yeah. Um, and then just lots of you know wonky sort of homemade recording. I've always been really into, <clears throat> you know, just sitting down with a, just sitting down with a some kind of musical instrument yeah and just trying to get something out of it well you're doing a soundtrack for your it's, it's your girlfriend right not that's your wife right, yeah. yeah for yeah. her film right at the minute yeah yeah and that was i mean her film it's, it's a really 
it's the you know the film is pretty hardcore it's about um the american government have been systematically sterilizing native american women uh since wow. the 60s without their knowledge so uh it's based around this one lady called jean whitehorse who um is um who went in for a i think an appendix operation or something like that and um whilst in pain was asked to sign a load of papers uh one of which was to whip all her bits out blimey she, yeah and <clears throat> so it's a pretty hardcore film it's super raw because Lorna's shot it all herself. You know, right. She's gone to visit these women and she's gone to visit these people, these, these women's health clinics. And um, she met, went to meet this guy, Buddy Rosenfeld, who's, uh, who uh, works in an LA hospital and um, actually discovered that this was going on and whistle blew and got fucking written off. Wow. Um, completely written off. That's why we called our son. One of the reasons we called our son Buddy was because okay. this guy's absolute, you know. So what he did was he spent two years learning how to reverse tubal, I think it's called tubal ligation, which is basically cutting women's um, over uh, the fallopian tubes. Um, and so it's a raw film and it's kind of hard, you know, quite, it's quite sort of um, basic in its in its approach in terms of the way it's filmed and the story and so what i did was i just did loads of home recordings and did loads of real i wrote a thing called gene's theme which was like a real you know sort of a classical guitar piece um and then i worked with this guy up in leeds who's also really he's he's more of a kind of pro is what he does um and we yeah we put this we put this soundtrack together over there i mean it's taken lorna's been working on the film since i've known her. i've known her for six years um and she was working on it before I met her, and then I sort of started working on her, working on this soundtrack, and it's been really lovely. You know, I think because I've seen the film grow, I understand the film, yeah, and I can get a real sort of intrinsic feel for what it is. Um, so is it out yet, the film? No, no, it's it's been it's actually I think in the next couple of months we're gonna get a uh, we're gonna get an edit. I mean, it's it's been through. I mean, actually, you know, it's ten years. Yeah, I've seen no end of edits, and <laughs> Lorna's been back and forth to America right. continually, um, trying to make this thing work. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, she's done all sorts of like mad. She's a completely bonkers filmmaker. She's gone into sort of you know, when she was pregnant with Buddy, she was going to see a a guy who was convicted of murder in some prison in sort of the middle of nowhere. Right. You know? She's completely potty, but yeah, it's, it's it's nice to sort of be able to help her out with the music. Yeah, nice to, to work put, on that together. Yeah, yeah, put those bits in. You know, I, I'd like to do. I like doing soundtracks. It's quite interesting. Yeah, I realised that when I was working with this, the guy that I was working with, who was doing the, who's more sort of pro and does it all the time. I, you know, I came up with a theme and then I riffed off the theme, and he told me that what that when I went to see him. He said, oh, you know, people haven't done that since the 20s. Really? <laughs> yeah. Right. It's like my old school approach. Right. But he said it was quite refreshing. But I didn't realise, you know, I yeah, just sort yeah. of thought, you know, you know, it wasn't it wasn't literally the same notes. It was, you know, uh, I worked, you know, because it was it was it's all about the sort of out. It's all about the kind of wild wilds of America. And, yeah. But that's that's like in, um, you know, Bob. Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, you know, the, the soundtrack, you know, that's all themes, isn't it? You know, Dylan, you know, like that's kind of common in soundtracks, isn't it? To, yeah, to have yeah. variations on those different themes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, it was interesting because I was sort of working on E&A for the, 
for the sort of quite. It was quite, you know, ENA's because you know it's the classic, it's classic blues production progression. But then to get in, but then at sort of lighter moments, using C, because you know C is the optimistic chord, you know, so and building these bits and then working with this this guy Jared, he then came up with some. He's a beautiful pianist. He's self-taught beautiful, you know, self-taught right. pianist. He came up with these. He actually wrote this theme based on a song that Gene sang in the. So I wrote Gene's theme, which was me just writing this piece of music, and then he actually wrote Gene's theme. So between what he made and what I made, right, we then kind of mashed up the two and stripped it back as much as we could, you know. And, um, is it is it online to hear? None of it's. Oh no, actually, yeah, it might be. If you go to, if yeah, I, I might it might be on a SoundCloud. I'll have I'll, I'll yeah, have a look. Yeah, let's have a look. I'll and have I'll, a look. I'll, I'll link it if so. Yeah, yeah. I think it's to... I think it's all super basic. You know, yeah, and it is yeah, weird be things good. like there's one track called Pliers, which is basically me with the slide <laughs> guitar with a pair of pliers going <laughs> on this on you know on strings. Oh, we should with get it up there effects. for sure, definitely. Because um, that was the bit where they talked about you know uh, aborting kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> It's pretty hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like it. Yeah, it is. But yeah, well, the music's the music's the one. Well, we should probably I mean we're we're an hour and forty, which is good going. Waffling on, yeah. No, it's been great. Um so we should probably wrap it. I guess it'd be good to we started with skateboarding. So it'd be good to kinda, you know, bit of closure on, on the skating. So there still, is no closure on the skating. That's well, that no, is the point. That is the point, but it would seem, yeah. You're uh, you're you're still skating, obviously. You're yeah, still skating yeah. as much as, as you used to. Oh no, no, not as much as you I'm still skating. With your kids, you were saying. But with you? my kids. I think the thing is because I, I don't want to break an arm or break a leg because yeah. it's it's so key. So I I can't, almost can't take the risks that I used to. Um but oh man, it's the best. It's just the best feeling. So what does skateboarding mean to you now? We had a little chat earlier about what it meant to you when you started. Uh, I think what it means to me now is uh, it's it's the, it feels like it's the at the root of everything. It's the it's the, it, the skating or the skating is is or are. I'm going to say skating are the ingredients. Skating is the ingredients, but it's that there's all of the things that come from it. You know, it's such a free thing. You know, it's so it's such a creative space. Um, whether it's on a skateboard or off a skateboard, um, you know, it's, it was my first formative experience, I think, and it, and it, and it, it continually, you know, this, you know, us talking now is from that. Um, every day, I, I, I have moments where I dip into something that is directly related to that. The last what twenty thirty thirty five years. Um, so it's the thing. I still love setting up a new skateboard. <laughs> still like getting, still like getting a front side grind out. Yeah, it's good. It's it's the thing, and I, you know, I just I, I like getting, I like going to the park. It's just a yeah. It just doesn't it, it 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 its essence never changes. Whether it's me or watching some other, you know, buddy, my little boy dropped in yesterday, first time ever. And how old is he? Four. He was so stoked. Amazing. And then he ran into somebody and fell off and ate shit. <laughs> and he cried. And I was like, have you got a sore bum? He's like, yeah, I've got a really sore bum. And so I picked him up and gave him... So I'd have a deep breath, deep breath, give it a rub, it'll be fine. Dropping in at four, though. It's pretty I mean, good, isn't it? Yeah, yeah amazing. Yeah. And he dropped in backwards. He, he's like, stance doesn't seem to be something that he uh, thinks about. Right. 
and I'm not talking. I'm not saying it. I'm not saying, oh, you shouldn't be doing it that yeah. way. I just think it's great for him to have a. It's just you know, it's like, just he does it the way he does it. Do you have any um, any regrets when you look back? Um, any regrets? No, not really. No, I don't. No, I don't. I got to. Well, I remember hitting my fortieth. And on the way to, I was having this 40th birthday party and on the way to the 40th birthday party, I got a tear in my eye. I was just walking, I was on my own and I was walking towards this party. It's, you know, my girlfriend at the time, you know, invited loads of mates. It was a really, you know, it's 40. It's a big one, 40. But I remember thinking and actually getting a tear in my eye, but the tear in my eye was because I'd had such a fucking good time that if I, you know, it's that classic thing. If I went under a bus tomorrow, yeah. as I'm laying there. No regrets. Well, it's not necessarily no regrets because I think, you know, there are things you've obviously you could have done things. You could have been more sensitive in certain situations and not been a dick or whatever. <laughs> well, we've all got that. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, ultimately, I feel like it's I feel like it's. Um, it's positive, you know, I feel like it's positive and I, I feel like you know, if you can put positive stuff out into the world. Hopefully. I'll make some difference to the absolute fucking anarchic chaos that exists right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, good words to end it, Pete. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for the chat. It's been great. Cheers for the beer. No worries. So there you go. That was my conversation with Pete Helicar, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I found Pete to be a fascinating thinker, great conversationalist, Endlessly quotable, which as a writer I really love. I mean, that chat was ultimately just full of good lines. I think my favourite was probably, art has no intrinsic value, neither does money. It's just what you believe it's worth. But then I've always just been into wheels was also a cracker. Above all, from meeting Pete and from the chats we've had since over email and in person, I think I've been impressed with the confidence there is in what he does. Something that I've noticed in a lot of what you might call strong artists, really. I'm going to get the old English lit hat on, so bear with me. It's the end of the podcast. I don't mind if you turn it off, but here we go. But there's a theory called the anxiety of influence, which was popularised by a critic called Harold Bloom, which basically argues that weak artists are derivative, unable to transcend their own immediate influences and ultimately just producing work which copies people that they admire. While strong artists, conversely, are able to withstand the pressures of influence and the demons in their own head to create works of originality. And I've often thought this is as much to do with an inner confidence as anything else. I've certainly struggled with that in my own creative endeavours over the years. And I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of strong artists in my time. And I've noticed they seem to possess an almost blissful inner steel. And they seem to be very good at suppressing that voice of inner doubt. And I've got no doubt that Pete's got the same going on. So thanks, Pete. I thought that was great. Thanks for coming on the show, like I say. So there you go. That was episode 10 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. Thanks again, as ever, for taking the time to listen to this. I hope you enjoyed it. If you are new to the show, you might not know about the website, www.wearelookingsideways.com. Over there, you'll find the archive. You'll find show notes for each individual episode, which includes imagery and links to, a, to give context to a lot of what I discuss with the guests. In the case of Pete, there's a lot of stuff there that's going to help you understand more what he was talking about and a lot of links like specific artworks that he's done and projects that he's been involved with. You can also sign up to my newsletter on the website to get exclusive news from Looking Sideways and exclusive bits of content that come with each episode. 
I normally send the newsletter out a day or so, two after the episodes drop. And on there again, there's usually some uh, exclusive content that you only get if you sign up to the newsletter. In this case, for example, Pete's done a, a mixed cloud mix for us, which has got a lot of his own music on there and a lot of his musical influences. And it's got a full track list. So if you've listened to him talk about his own music and it's piqued your interest, then you know what to do. Sign up to that newsletter and you're going to get a very special mix that Pete's taken the time to put together, landed in your inbox. So yeah, there we go. That was it. Episode 10. Thanks for listening and uh, see you later. Bye bye. <laughs>